What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Fandom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I have a full crew here with me today. Anthony, Lori, and Mike are all here. We are discussing Cursed Season 1, Episode 7. And this episode picks up where we left off the last episode, Episode 6, with um, Arthur and Gawain kind of at odds. Gawain takes his little company and they're heading to the mill on foot. Arthur stays behind and is promptly attacked by the Grey Monk and that's pretty much where we pick up. So we start off with a fight between the Grey Monk and Arthur and um, my thoughts upon this opening episode was any, um, any question that we had about Arthur's skills in fighting and swordsmanship were answered in this uh <laughs> were answered in this scene like um he's a scrub yeah he, is a scrub he he got, he got whacked. I won't even say he's a scrub if he was fighting against someone regular he probably would have been good but considering he's fighting the great monk he got his ass handed to him like like royally yeah when you think about it we saw the only time we've seen him handling the sword was a sword of power. Right. So, so I, you know. Also, okay, starting at the beginning, how the hell did he dodge that doggone arrow? I mean, come on. He had quick reflexes. I'm not, no, no, I'm not going for that. I'm not going for that. I mean, if you think about it. Looked, he was like, he literally yeah, looked and watched the arrow go by him and didn't know where it was, didn't really know where it's coming from until it was loosed. It is not his destiny to die. I mean, stop it. No, no, now you sound like me. You sound like me now, Anthony. That's messed up. We can't we can't be switching places and stuff. That's messed up. We can't be doing that. It's not his time to die. That's why the air, that's why it slowed down for him. Yeah, it slowed down for him so that he could get he could get wiped. He can get wiped on the forest floor by the Grey Knight, which he and, and think about it. If this is like the first time I've seen a Grey Knight fight somebody and not kill. This is true, though. He literally, did not pull his sword at all. No, but he was going to, but he, he got saved by Gawain. Gawain came and knocked him off of him and dragged him to the hill. That's true too. So, so. He, was going to get, he was dead. He was dead rights dead. Right. Except for Gawain coming. Everybody started killing them after they were going, and that was that was a hell of a scene. Like they saw they saw the mill, and they said, "Oh man, finally we made it!" And then right when they're walking to it, they see one arrow kill somebody, and they're like, "Wait, what?" Then all of a sudden, it's a rain of arrows, and they're like, "Oh snap, run!" Yeah, that then, was one hell of an ambush. And they, yeah, it's crazy. So you well, you're getting everybody made it into the window. Well, I mean, they're paladins, you know. I mean, they're, they're, they're basically the red shirts of this whole series. So let's try right, the army of red shirts. And not only that, they're wearing those long, heavy ass robes. You can't really, I, I mean, you can't really move. You can't really run. So you know, you've got the the fae. They're all, you know, in light clothing. They, I mean, yeah, they're, they're literally right armor. there. They're not wearing armor. No armor. So, um, so of course the fae are getting attacked. Gawain goes back to the forest for Arthur, and I still didn't get this other dude's name. I'm so sorry, other dude. But, you know, he oh, goes back oh, for yeah, them. It's, it's called, uh, I think it's, I'm looking at it right now. I have kept closed caption. I think 
He's called Bertram or Bertram, Bertram, Bertram something yeah. like that. Yes, yeah, something like that. It's not quite Bertram, but it's something like that. But he, was he not the MVP? I'm sorry. He 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 helped. He got hurt. He got he helped. I mean, I, I we'll get into it later. But I felt so bad for him because I was like. Yeah, you're talking go. about Bergerum. Okay, there yeah, yeah, because yes. I got some, I got some thoughts was, about that. He, he was, he, I'm, I'm channeling Funky Idea here. He was giving me Lord of the Ring, Ring vibes here. Okay, <laughs> he was good, but I, I got some thoughts about that. But yeah, we'll come back. That's to that. Yeah, absolutely. Like Billy Bean vibes. Yeah, like yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Some of you was like, oh, he's dead. He's getting ready to die in a second. Okay, cool. Yeah, but so Gawain goes back for Arthur. Um... You know, they fight off a couple of red paladins. They kill a couple of them. They go back to the mill, and that's when Bergerum is shot. And, you know, so that everybody else can get to safety. And I hate to say it, but I had the thought, of course it's the Black Fae that gets shot. Like, it's already not that many of us in the doggone show. That's the one that had to get shot. Like, I was feeling some kind of way. Like no, because a horror movie, the black people are always the last ones to die because we run. Like, we see horror, we see Jason, we see whatever. We get the hell on. It depends. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, but it's like, you know, some, somewhere in there, we're going to die eventually. Mm. Well, yeah, I had, I, had, I had an issue with that. But, um, so anyway, he gets shot. They're trapped in the mill. And... I mean, like, further on in the episode, because the way the episode is broken up, we see this, and then we get to Nimue, and we see some other scenes. But when they come back, they realize Bergeron is still alive. And the Grey Monk also realizes that Bergeron is, Bergeron is still alive. He comes, he grabs him, captures him, and starts torturing him to get them to... Um, have the Green Knight or Gawain, um, you know, surrender himself. And something that he said when he's when he gets ready to start torturing Bergeron, he says something to the Green Knight. He's kind of not necessarily taunting him, but he's basically saying, um, "Is this how it has to be? How many people have to die um, before you give yourself up?" He said, um, "You know, do we need an example or something to that effect?" And he says, "Do you need a reminder?" Which makes me wonder if the story that Gawain told in the last episode about him and the friend, um, you know, when the humans were attacking them and the friend got killed, I'm wondering if Grey Monk was the person who did that too because he was like, do you need a reminder? Like, oh, you've been in this situation before. You know? And it's just kind of like, that damn Grey Monk is everywhere. Hmm? He's a sadistic bitch too but i mean he was just like you just you just tied him up just like all right let's cut this you coming out no all right let's cut this he, yeah. okay. and it wasn't I'm even gonna, the, really the cutting what he did was the arrow that was in Bergeron's back of course he started like messing with that kind of you know i guess drawing pain but then he stabs him in the stomach and leaves the knife there and i'm like dude do you have to be that like he again, if he is Faye and he is doing this to his own people, I don't know how. Let's just call it. He is Faye. I mean, clearly. 
Okay, so then the fact that he is doing this to other Faye, and then if you're... Yes. All, all of them at the mill were Faye. They're all Faye. They're, they're just different. Faye. They're just different. Um, different I, clans. Different, yeah, different clans or, yeah. I guess it would be like different different races with us it's different clans so you have you have the snake okay. people you have the uh the sky fae you have the the wing uh what was it the winged um something so yeah they they've all got different mm -hmm. moon wings yeah 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 so um so yeah he's just sitting there torturing them and then you know gawain makes a decision to surrender himself and Arthur basically tells him, no, you, you can't go out there. And of course, th there's some more posturing. Gawain is like, you know, you don't get to choose. If you, if you try to stop me again, I'll kill you. So Arthur steps to the side, lets him go. And then as a mercy killing, I think, and then also to kind of take away the Great Monk's advantage, he shoots Bergram and puts him out of his misery. And Gawain, you know, he's pissed. He comes back in, um, you know, and asks him, what are you doing? He was like, Arthur's like, what needs to be done? You need to honor him by saving other lives. Which, you know, at that point, Arthur was making a lot of sense. It's like, again, Arthur is not the tactician. We know that he's not a military man. But he's making more sense than the quote-unquote leader is you know it's like Gwen should know this he should know about those types of tactics that kind of emotional I don't even want to say blackmail but you know you're, you're using someone innocent to get an end result and the gray monk says to him if you surrender the green knight the rest of you will live Arthur's like you know that's a lie come on we all know that's a lie but yet Gawain was falling for it Gawain was like fell for it though that's the thing it's just, it's just like, come on, Gwen. If you're supposed, yeah, you're supposed to be the leader. Been, I don't think he's ever been in a situation like that. But apparently, he has. I, yeah, he lost someone in a situation like that. So it's kind of like you already know what the outcome of this is going to be. So I, I don't know. I just, for someone who's supposed to be the leader, for someone who's supposed to have that much wisdom. Well, this is. To say. I think he really deep down feels they don't have a chance. Mm -hmm. And I, I really think that he, he understands that they are outnumbered, they're outmanned, they're outgunned, and that there isn't, there isn't a lot that he's going to be able to do to stop the inevitable. So he's trying to do what he can based on the circumstances. If He's got to give himself up for the hope that he can save some of the lives because the situation they're in, he, that he can't see a way out. And their whole situation is desperate. And I think he might, he might be seeing that him. That's why he is the way he is. It's almost as if he has given up. And, and he's just in desperate mode now. So nothing is making sense. For him. Alright, two things. First, I think that I think that author is finally showing that showing what he can do as a future king. 
by killing what's his name by killing him mm-hmm. by by trying to preserve by by doing what's best for everybody and not for just one person trying to save one person he's trying to save everybody so he actually is showing leadership by putting him out of his misery and not letting Gawain go and sacrifice himself mm-hmm. second I'm seeing a lot of uh I, I, Gawain is kind of reminding me of Lieutenant Dan here from Forrest Gump like he <laughs> wants to go there and like sacrifice himself and be like I'm supposed to die I'm going out I'm gonna I'm gonna be a hero and everybody's gonna remember me I'm like no Okay, because I was really wondering where that comparison was going. <laughs> yeah, because Lieutenant Dan, like, he got hurt, and he was like, okay, bring in the airstrike, and he was like, and it's like, because everybody in Lieutenant Dan's lineage had died in combat. Right. So, I think I think that there's a little bit of that in Gawain, where he wants to die honorably, as opposed to just dying. But I just, I really think that this is one of the turning points for Arthur as far as becoming a king and deserving that title and lead and deserving the honor of leading people. I think this is the start of that. I agree. I mean, he's starting to show, he's showing a little more wisdom with his actions than he did the first few episodes um, of the season. And I don't know if that has to do with Nimue's influence or if it's just now that he just wants to try to be a better person. But whatever it is, it's starting to work. The third reason could be, here I go again, the writers are trying to show a contrast. They're trying, they they bring Gwen down and they have him to contrast with Arthur going up. Mm-hmm. So the better Arthur, the worse Gawain is, the better Arthur is. And yes. that could be something that was intentional to have us like, God, this dude, Wayne, he's supposed to be all that. He's really not, but this guy, Arthur, he's, he was actually pretty freaking good. Yeah, I haven't gotten quite there with Arthur yet, but Gawain, yeah, that's kind of where I am now. Like, Gawain is supposed to be the Green Knight. He's supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to be the tactician. He's supposed to be the military man. He's supposed to be the one, you know, when you think of leaders, you think of wisdom for the most part. Maybe not always in this show, but that's what you think. And Gawain just, he has not impressed me yet, you know? He's he's really by the book as far as, like, Okay, I mean, well, he's not necessarily by the book, but traditional as as far as, like, the sword is the sword of our people, you shouldn't give it to Merlin, or, like, you're a human, I don't trust you, and it's like, his mindset is very locked in as far as certain other things are, as far as that's, and, like, from what I see. He's very, mm, I don't know if I want to say close-minded. But he he he's very one dimensional right now. That that's how I look at his character. He's very one dimensional, and you know, and you might be right. That might be what the writers are trying to do um, to kind of change that balance between what Gawain is right now and where Arthur is now, and trying to make it you know tip the scales a little bit more for Arthur because we know what he's supposed to become. But it's just I. 
I don't know. Like I said, Gawain's character just does not impress me right now. You know, he's been he's been very close-minded. He's been pig-headed. He's been very petty. You know, which is not something I I would expect from somebody of a character of his caliber that that he's supposed to be. So, you know, maybe maybe I'm just being a little harsh. But like we said in the last episode, like he's not necessarily a knight in the traditional sense of the word, as far as we know. I mean, he he, has, he wasn't squired. He doesn't really do a lot of training. I think that he's just the best fighter that they sent out to do things. So it's like it's not like he has has that kind of training and that kind of um that kind of upbringing and like knowledge. So. I mean, he's just doing the best he can. I think there's some probably some moments where he's just like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And there are <laughs> private moments where he's just like, you know, oh, damn, what the hell am I going to do now? But he doesn't put that in front of people. And that's, I, yeah. I just don't yeah. think that he has that kind of training. Okay, I can go for that explanation. I can go for that. What were you about to say, Laura? Well, I, I think one of the things with, I think one of the things about him is yes you can see a lack of experience but when you have a group of people who's not known to fight and someone has the guts to stand up and be the leader th there's not a whole lot of instruction that comes with it so you wing it and i think that he's winging it okay but i also think he's just stubborn enough that he doesn't want a human to tell him what to do even though the human who may be equally as clueless but actually might have a little bit more knowledge you know like for instance, if there's a situation and you've never really fought before in your life and the person next to you has the same amount of experience, but they see that the situation is going left and they go run, you're like, no, I'm going to stay and fight. No, listen to them and run. I think that's <laughs> sort of where he's at right now. Okay. And also, they have to they have to lay the foundation right. because he's going to be a knight around here. Right. Serving exactly. Arthur. So they right. have to lay the foundation. Mm -hmm. that maybe Arthur knows what he's talking about. Yeah. He should listen. Go. So is that, is that a race that's going to species? Like, he's just, like, bringing things in, messing up everything. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I, would, yeah I, I can't wait till we get to the last part where they escape, because I have a lot to say about that. Like, where, like when they get ready to go out and, like, quote-unquote, sacrifice themselves, but that's further on. I really want to talk about that. We can talk about it now. I mean, since we're already here, so, okay, so yeah. And, first, yeah, first, so first. Where they, they're like, where there's. I have to mention huh? squirrel coming in to save the day. I love that freaking character. I love that kid. He comes in and. And Gawain is like, boy, why am I looking at your face? He's like, I'm here to rescue you, sir. And, you know, it's kind of like he he's there with a purpose. He wants to see some red paladins burn. And it's because, I have to say it, that that's Iris's influence. You know, when they when he was teaching Iris how to shoot with the bow and arrow, she said something to him about, you know, I would I couldn't sleep at night if the people who killed my family were free. Yeah. And I think that's what spurred Squirrel to go follow Gawain and, and company so that he could have a part in that because he really wants to to get revenge on the Red Paladins for killing his father and killing, you know, most of the village. And I get that. 
But I love the fact that this kid, as little as he is, he's brave. Like, you don't ever really see so far in the series where Squirrel has been scared. You know, maybe when maybe when the Red Paladins were at the village, but I mean, they were literally burning people at the stake in front of this kid's eyes. But even then, you know, when Nimue told him what he needed to do, I need you to escape, Put you know, because he had a sword. He was getting ready to fight. This little kid was ready to fight. And Nimue was like, no, I need you to put that down. I need you to run. I need you to get to safety. And he does it. Like, he's one of those kids that he listens. Like, I don't know what it is about Squirrel's character that makes him wise beyond his years. But he's one of those kids, like, we see it all the time in, in various TV shows. I don't care what genre it is. You always have the kid that doesn't want to listen, that's hard-headed, that thinks they know more than the adults. And Squirrel is not that kid. Like, he really pays a... He really pays attention to what's going on around him. He takes cues and he takes notes. And then, you know, when he is faced with danger, if he is in a situation that's not necessarily safe or whatever, he shows a ton of bravery. You know, probably comparable to any of the adults on this show. Like when the Grey Monk had him, he was just sitting there just mouthing off. I mean, we talked about this in the episode. He's mouthing off. He wasn't scared. Or if he was scared, he knows how to hide he it. Literally, well. He literally stared him in the eye and was like, screw you. Right, basically. And like, I'm not scared of you. Right. You are. You. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, now he's... Squirrel and Pim give me life throughout this whole series. Yeah, it's we'll like... talk about Pim in a minute. Because I, when I saw her on the screen, I said, I can hear Mike in my head right now talking about Pim. <laughs> but, <laughs> but... You know, Squirrel comes through, and think about it. He has to know that they're under attack, and he still found a way to get to them, and was still like, "I'm here to rescue y'all. Like, come on, let's do this." I love that freaking kid. I love him. I love him. He's probably my favorite character on this whole damn show. I love Squirrel. <laughs> but okay, Mike, I'm sorry. I had to put that in. Go, go ahead with your point about the end of the episode. No, no, that's fine. Okay, so back at the end of the episode, like right when they were getting ready to leave the burning windmill and they get come up with a plan, Arthur stops Gawain and says, Wait, I have to know how you feel about Nimway. And Gawain is like, Really, dude? We're trying to get out of here. And he's like, No, 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 no. I need to know how you feel about it. He's like, Fine, she's like my sister. I'm not trying to get with her. Can we go now? And it's like, and that's kind of. Like, like, really, dude? Like, there's fire above us. There are paladins outside, and you're asking him how he feels about Nimue. Like, that was the best thing about the whole scene. I mean, hey, can we leave? They might be, they might be about to die. He needs to know. Yo, if I get out of here, do I have a chance, or do I have to fight you for? I was dying. I was like, really? I I started laughing so hard. I was like, okay, this is really not the time for this. It really isn't, but it was it was really funny. It was like, like you deserve to die if you if you stay in there. Like, wait, wait, do you do you like Nimway? Because I like her, and I need to know if we gonna have to fight when we get out of here. And he's like, Papa, fire, paladins. Excuse me, I'm trying to get trying to live. And he's like, fine, I don't like her. Like, good, do we can die as brothers? He's like, yeah, whatever, let's go. It's like, come on, man. 
pussy whip me. Ain't never had the pussy. Whip. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I want to know. Like, come on, bro. Like he, like they didn't even. He hasn't even seen her naked. He turned around. When they were in the hot tub, he turned around. He hasn't even seen her naked. He Right, because I mean, why lie in that moment? You you may you may be about to die. Might as well tell the truth. So, but yeah, as far as far as as far as that whole thing, you know, to be crude about it, hoes before bros, man. He he need to find out if he can get the girl or not before before I declare that. Yo, we we gonna come out of this as brothers. I mean, I can't. I mean, sure. It's just that's just the way it is. <laughs> that's the way it is. <laughs> it is what it is. I just, oh. I just don't understand how explicit what he and he did. 
Okay, so I guess for right now, we're just gonna we're gonna leave Arthur and Gawain alone. Let them fit. We're gonna table this discussion for a minute. We're gonna let okay. them figure out how to get out the burning building. So let's go to Nimue. So Nimue, Morgana, and Kaze, they are trying to escape from the Pendragon forces. And they find themselves going through this um, kind of like a, a, a pass. And um, Morgana tells Nimue that the pass is called Brother's Blood. And it's a Roman battleground that was cursed by the Kaliak, which is a spider god. And we learn more about the Kaliak in this episode, I think. Um, I think that I can safely say that the Kaliak is creepy as hell. And... Um, yeah, has some has some interesting powers, but um, so the Kaliak basically back during this battle um, caused some kind of fog to come up, and it confused the soldiers, and the soldiers ended up turning on each other and killing each other. Hence the name Brothers Blood. This is why that pass is called that. And um, in order for them to escape from the Pendragon forces, they either have to go through this pass or they're going to have to turn around and go backwards, which obviously is not a choice. Um, Morgana makes a statement that she and Arthur used to play in the tunnels there when they were kids. Kaze is very visibly spooked. You know, she is a warrior and I do know, you know, warriors tend to believe a lot in superstition and curses. And she's like, mm-mm, I'm not going through there. Nope, mm-mm, y'all can't make me. And as soon as she says that, Nimue starts going towards the tunnel. So I'm like, I guess you're going to be going through the tunnels. And they get to the tunnels and... There's always uh, one. <laughs> it's always one what? <laughs> There's always one voice of reason that you're like, I don't think we should go in there. Then that, you, see a, you see an opening with a spider on it. You're like... Nah, no, I'm not going in there. Not like, just the spider, but there's a skull to... embedded too. What more do you need? Like, I mean, you see, you're, you're you're walking through a battlefield where there are shields and swords and helmets and skulls, and then you get to an opening with a big ass skull and spider legs. Like, okay, let's go. I'll take my chances. Let's just go back that way. Right. Okay. Besides, I have a really thing with spiders. I can't deal. So. Okay, well, not to sidetrack us, but we you know in a lot of fantasy quest literature, um, the hero has to go through the other world. Mm-hmm. That's one of the journeys that your hero has to make. Mm-hmm. We saw the Lord of the Rings. I mean, it's, it's one of those tropes that persist in this very moment to get our hero to go through the underworld. Yeah. I just wanted to throw that out. Yeah. You know, I, I it's, it's not as if you have somebody who, oh, I don't know, has common sense and, you know, has those signs. Remember that, uh, forget which comedian, here's your sign. But, you know, there's always somebody that says, you know, maybe we sh- shouldn't do this. And they always, they always ignore them. And what happens at the end of each movie, TV series, whatever, they turn to them and say, you know, you're right, we should listen to you. I oh, mean, hello. You Same know, thing with Ar- Ar- Arthur and Dwayne. I, I mean, they don't listen to the voice of reason. But I mean, in this, Arthur did try to tell him. He did. He did. So they go into these tunnels, and 
immediately upon entering, there's like writings on the walls. And of course, you see this all the time. Writings on the wall that kind of tell a story. And this one tells a story about the Celts that... Um, I think Morgana said it was the Celts that uh, defied Caesar. And they were, they were being attacked and they were fighting. And Kaliak offers her protection for them and basically makes the Romans turn their swords on each other. And the, the villagers, the people are saved, but she demands payment. And the payment is that she wants their children to sacrifice to the spider god, also Kaliak. And so Nimue kind of makes, um, she makes a comment because Kaze says that, um, you know, people, this, this, what did she say? She says something about this is the consequence of dealing with demons or something like that. And Nimue says, not all demons know that they are demons. And so she said it, it's possible that Kaliak didn't know what she was when she met the Celts. And then she starts having flash, you know, she starts having flashbacks of her visions of Merlin and not only her visions of Merlin, but also what she went through with the sword. And she hears Merlin's voice in her head. And the three, uh, the three phrases that he says is, every second you hold that sword, the danger to your life increases. Then he says, revenge took ownership of me. And then he says, it will do the same to you because you're my kin. And as she's hearing these phrases in her mind, we see the flashbacks. We see Merlin with the sword in his hand with the Romans. And Anthony uh, just showed us a photo. And it's kind of like we see that the sword is in his hand. And if you look at his hand, am I the one, am I mistaken in looking and seeing like his hand looks furry a little bit? It almost looks like claws, and it looks like it's almost a part of the sword. Yes. So that it, might harken. Yeah, and it's going up his, it's going up his arm too. Yeah, so that it's might going up his arm. That might answer our question. Well, it reminds me of a video game that the way that the sword took over his arm because I noticed that when after her first flashback, like it actually was consuming him, like becoming. It wasn't God of War. It was something else kind of like that, though. But it's like, I mean, it's just like absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's like that you just have so much power, like, speaking to you. If you don't know how to block certain things out, mm -hmm. you're going to be corrupted by it. And that's kind of the thing that she has to learn how to deal with. Right. Especially, like, how powerful that sword is. Right. And I think... You know, she's thinking about these things because she's seen what she has done while she's been in possession of the sword and when she's wielded the sword. And I think it's kind of like she has a conversation with Kaze where she, she starts doubting herself and she talks about how trusting she was and how she went against everybody's advice to take Merlin the sword. And she starts doubting her own sense of judgment because she feels like she did that you know, she ran to him as a child. So she feels a little bit naive. She feels like she didn't use her best judgment because of the fact that this is her newly discovered father. And she feels like maybe she let that uh, cloud her judgment. But at the same time, I think she's realizing, you know, in listening to those phrases and in seeing those flashbacks, not only of Merlin killing, but also of her 
killing the red paladins you know she said not all demons know they are demons and maybe she's starting to think okay yeah that's how merlin ended up but maybe that wasn't how he started like he had to have started as a good man or a decent person because other than that lenore wouldn't have fallen in love with him you know she just didn't seem the type to fall in love with someone who was evil evil and destructive and we see Nimue also started out innocent and then she was not necessarily corrupted by the dark god that attacked her, but it did change her. And, you know, no matter what her her reasoning, like she's always only acted in self-defense when it comes to attacking other people. Even as a child, when she did it by accident, it was always as a response to being directly attacked. And so maybe this is kind of her, her, the start of her kind of reconciling the, those two things and where she notices what's going to happen. Also, what happened earlier in the cave, before she has this conversation with Kaze, they're in the cavern and she's wielding the sword and she's talking about how evil the sword is and how the sword wants blood and how the the future of the fae is is dead and kaze is really speaking to her really encouraging her to be something more to use the sword for its power and you can see her approaching kaze and she's talking and she's wielding the sword and she's using the sword kind of forcefully and kaze and morgana are both looking at her like what is going on to the point where she throws the sword at the to the bottom of the cavern and it's like Almost immediately, once the sword is out of her grasp, her whole, again, her whole demeanor changes. She changes back to just Nimue. And she's like, oh my God, why did I do that? Morgana's like, girl, are you crazy? Like, why would you do that? You just threw the sword. And, you know, it's again, it's, it's a very visual um, confirmation that the sword changes who you are. Or at least it does for Nimue and Merlin. And I don't know if it has that kind of really negative effect on anyone else. We ne we didn't see Arthur with it long enough for it to actually corrupt him. But maybe the sword being the product of Merlin and her being Merlin's kin, it affects them more. And then, of course, we already know the cavern kind of maybe holds the spirit of the Kaliak there. So maybe that was another way the Kaliak kind of um manipulated that situation so that she could so that she could do what she ended up doing later um after Morgana goes to retrieve the sword but it's kind of like we see that sword has a way of controlling her controlling her emotions to the point where she doesn't even realize what she's doing until it's out of her reach and that's got to be a scary like thing for sword, her it's almost like the sword is an antenna for the power to become more that in the or the cavern is allowing the sword to have more of an effect on her. Like it's actually an antenna to allow more, more of the, the mystic or the, the magic that's in the sword to speak louder to her mm -hmm. and to be be harder for her to block out. Probably, there's yeah. A lot, there's a lot of magic in that in that cavern. So it's you just it, it, maybe it's just it's so much that she just couldn't block it out anymore. Like yeah. she just like, like she, she probably tried and the sword called to her, she took it out 
and the sword started glowing and the magic started coursing through her because the the cavern was was maybe allowing the magic to become more concentrated in her mm -hmm. where she couldn't block it out or just say I'm not thinking about it I can't I can't do it I can't do this but it just allowed it allowed it to creep into her mind and take over it's almost like it was it's almost like she was absorbing whatever energy whatever evil energy was in that cavern you know it's it's kind of like it was just there in her and then the sword i, I don't know like you said it, it it was acting like a conduit or something like kind of like strengthening that and then the moment she threw it it's just kind of like you can see all of that leave her body i mean to the point where she's visibly shaken about what just transpired you know and then Morgana, <sighs> okay, so Anthony, here we come to your, you know, your thoughts about Morgana, you know, because at this point, Morgana does not have magic, but we find out that she's supposed to be. Morgana goes to retrieve the sword. She hears a voice in the cavern calling her name, and here comes Celia, her supposed-to-be-dead girlfriend, and Celia is burnt she tells Morgana that she and a few others escaped the fire and the Kaliak drew them there. My first question was, okay, so where the others? Because I just see you. That's already suspect. <clears throat> and then she starts to tell, like, Morgana is visibly, like, confused because she really feels like Celia was supposed to be dead. And Celia tells her about the Kaliak, um you know, summoning her. She says she has a message for um, Morgana. She she tells her that Morgana is supposed to become the greatest sorceress in Britannia and that she will be the one who determines who wields the sword. And Morgana is visibly confused. She's like, I don't, I don't deal with magic. I don't have magic. How is this supposed to happen? And then we find out Celia is not really Celia. She's not really there. She she did die. She's like, oh, I didn't want to tell you because I knew you'd be upset. I was like, girl, Morgana, run. Run, run. Run. But for real, she, she goes through all that, all that, like, yo, you're supposed to be great. And I was like, how do you know this? Oh, by the way, I'm dead. Right. Get out. <laughs> like, come on. I mean, she, she waited, she waited to that until the last minute. Like, oh. Watch this one. I'm, like, why, like, why? I mean, uh, I mean, she. For everything you said, like, yeah, some of, some, of, some of the others have escaped. Where are they? Okay. And now all of a sudden she's an expert on mysticism, saying that she's going to be a great wizard, greater than Nimue and all this other stuff. How does she know? Oh, by the way, I'm dead. Okay, strike three. Right. Like, that's freaking. Right. And and not only that, it's just kind of like she. Of course, we know this is the this is the Kaliak probably manipulating the situation for her own gains, which you know why we don't know yet. But it's like the Kaliak knew just how to get to Morgana. Like you, you hit her where she's most vulnerable. And, and that's with Celia. You know, she escaped alive and Celia was left behind to perish in this fire. So she's already got survivor's guilt. 
And you top that off with the fact that she obviously loved this girl. And now she she feels like, oh, she's here. She's alive. There's another chance. And then she's, she's taking in all of this stuff that Celia's saying to her, which I don't blame her. I mean, if I was in that situation, I would probably too sh be too shocked to... to you know, dispute anything that she's saying to me. And then you follow it up with, oh, yeah, I didn't want to tell you, but um, I'm not really here. I'm kind of dead. It's like, yeah, I don't see the ending in a good way. But, I mean, because, I mean, you have to think about it. she puts the spider on her lip. I was like, my, my, lip still, my lip still itches from her putting that spider on her bottom lip. When I tell you, I had to pause because uh -huh. even talking about it now, I've got goosebumps now because I feel like something is crawling up my arms. That was just, uh, just anything having to do with spiders like that, especially spiders going into a person's body. And uh, mm, 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 mm. I just, if she had the nerve to look at the spider on her bottom lip, then look at the dead Celia and then look at the spider on her bottom lip. And right. And over mouth lip spider. Yeah. I'm like, okay, excuse this. This is going to sound really bad, but you're not black, are you? You're not really black, are you? <laughs> as, as soon as I saw it, I was like, ah! I, would, I want to give myself a concussion trying to get the spider off of me. I mean... But, I mean, that, but that kind of shows the power of the celiac and the power that... And how much love she had for her. That, that she actually trusted that even in that extreme instance that this is something that wasn't going to hurt her and something that was probably good for her because someone who loved her allowed this to happen. So, right. I mean, there's that. But there's still a spider on your lip and I'm not, not dealing with that. Well, this has been laying a foundation for her becoming the greatest sorceress in Britannia. Right. Because she's going to have to use dark magic to see where she's going to get it from. She's gonna get it from the yeah, but you know what? I if if I have to become a magical being, give me something other than a spider. Like I I don't want I don't want it that way. Like Mike said, she trusts she she manipulated her with the love and trust that she has for her lost love. Right. And it also showed how willing you know she is to take something in like that, like. That there's literally little acceptance of right. being able to become something more than what she Because, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. Of course she's going to have good intentions. Everything that Morgana does is really good intentions to her, but to the detriment of everybody else. Yeah, but you can give me a magic wand. You ain't got a puss. <laughs> right. It doesn't work like that. It means, I don't care. <laughs> there, there has to be a sacrifice. Uh, yeah. and, and they never made sacrifices. And only one person made a real sacrifice. Harry Potter, that was Lily. Yeah. That's it. Uh, Just saying. Definitely not biting my lip now. speechless. I'm just... <laughs> <The> spider. <sighs> like... I knew the minute Celia showed her face, I was like, oh, this can't be good. And of course, you know, when, when Morgana was, when she told Nimue that she would go retrieve the sword, she started to go down the stairs in the cavern. And then, you know, there was a, uh, there was a long shot and you could kind of see one of the rocks on the far side of the cavern. 
in your immediate view. And of course, there's a spider walking down. And I was like, oh, this is not going to end well. So that's why I feel like the Kaliak, it wasn't just the sword that made Nimue do what she did. I feel like it was part the Kaliak as well because she needed to find a way to get Morgana away from Nimue and Kaze so that she could plant that suggestion in her head. And that was the only way that she was going to do it. And it was just like, as soon as I saw that spider, I said, oh, this is not going to end well. You know, at first I thought Morgana yeah, was going to be... Is, is, I was going to say, she's playing a long game. She's been sitting out there for God knows how long. No one's coming in there. She wants to get back out in the world and have her influence. Again. And this is how she's going to do it. Someone finally came to her lair. She can plant a little seed without <sighs> You know, as as if they don't have enough to worry about right now. Now you got to deal with a spider god. I would rather that captured by the Black Pen Dragon's guards. Like, screw it. Just take me. Yeah. But, I mean... We have to have Morgana become Morgana. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. You know, I guess... The, I, I guess that's what has yeah, to happen. You can't go into the abyss without bringing something back out. Does something like this happen in, in Merlin, the TV series? I keep thinking that something like this happened in it. I feel like something like that. I, mean, uh, I, I don't... I think you're right. I, I, I'm re-watching The Ten Kingdom, and I haven't gotten to Merlin. That's next. But I want to re- say that they were in the forest... And well, they're always in the forest. Sorry, but they were in the forest, and he was saying something to her. And I want to say that the, yeah, that did happen. But I think that it was like in the middle, not the beginning. Yeah, I think it's like it's, there's always like something possessing Morgana and right. her and making her that powerful to be a formidable but, adversary. But in the but in the Merlin but in the Mer, I'm sorry in the Merlin TV series, uh, she was just born that way. I mean, they didn't need to do anything with her to make her like that in the TV series. Or am I wrong? I'm trying to remember. I can't remember. I think she was just like that. Hmm. Actually, actually, I got more of Pissy Little Sisters when I got from her in the TV series. Like in the other versions of the tales that I, you know, that I've mentioned before, the Merlin, uh, the Merlin um, miniseries from the '90s, and then the TV show Camelot. Those are those are like the two that I watched the most. Um, in the Merlin series, Morgan was, I believe, she was just a regular child, and then she was gifted with magical powers um, by. One, she <clears throat> yes, she she was a witch. She was, and yeah, she, she was, she wasn't born that way. She was kind of made that way. Um, 
just so she could kind of, I guess, play a bigger purpose in the whole, um, in the whole battle yeah, as far as... I'm saying traditionally, mm-hmm. she, it depends on what you read. She was part fake. In another story, she was an actual witch that mm-hmm. learned how to do magic. Yeah. Because a lot of, a lot of bad, the bedtime, the dark magic always required a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And she was always willing to sacrifice something or yeah. someone to get her power. Yeah, because so. um, in, in that way, too, she was in uh, Camelot. The character of Morgan was... Um, also, she was just a regular girl, and she she basically gave her soul over uh, to the dark gods for that power. So, um, so I will say this: this does not bode well for Morgana. Just knowing what we know of the character's background, just in general, um, and I don't know how that's gonna how that's gonna play into her loyalty to Nimue and to the Fae. Like, is she still gonna well, be? Usually, well, usually Morgana has done like, like I said, she normally always has good intentions, mm-hmm. and she will protect who she can, even if it requires her to take other people out or to do some some bad things. Because in her mind, you know, what, what's that saying? Every villain is the hero of their own story. Yeah, that's true. And that and that's pretty much her. I mean, everything she does, she's like Lex Luthor. Everything he does is for the good of humanity. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's like everybody, everybody, whoever thinks that everybody, when when someone does something, they're doing it with their with their own best intentions. Yeah. So it's like, and that, that's what's going to lead her down her dark paths. She's going to want to do good, and she's going to keep acquiring power in order to do good, which is going to make her become, you know, who she needs to be. Mm. Okay. Let's go to some... <laughs> what a depressing thought. It is. It is. So, look, let, let, let's liven it up a little bit. Let's get to Mike's favorite person. Let's talk about Pim for a little bit. <laughs> Um, so we see Pim again. We haven't seen Pim really for a while. We know that she is with, um, the Vikings and, uh, Red Spear and Red Spear comes to her on the ship and she's been cut by one of the villagers and Pim is basically, (laughs) Pim is being Pim. She's deflecting and she's asking questions and I forgot what it was she asked Red Spear, but basically, oh, she called, she called her a raider. She was like, so how long have you been a raider? And Red Spear takes, like, great offense to this. She was like, does, it, does this look like a raider ship? Do I look like a raider? She was like, do I look like a thief to you? Is that what you think I am? And she starts saying something about the blade, and she's like, the blade that I'm carrying is to kill, um, what is her name? Itis. And it's the daughter of Cumber, the Ice King, which we met a couple of episodes ago. Now, I don't know what the hell Itis did to Red Spear, but I would not want to be Itis and come... come. Did she call her like... She called her like the lion whore, the lion whore. No, 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 no. You know what that was? That was a bad breakup. That's what that was. I get that too. that. That was like the worst breakup ever. Because she did call her, she said the lion, the lying whore daughter of Cumber the Ice King, and I mean literally she's yes. hitting 
the table yes. with the knife ev with I mean oh, yeah. with every no, enunciation. No, no, no. And I was just like, Oh, I would not want to be Itis and come face to face with her. So anyway I've seen that actually in real life once with my sister in law. <laughs> it's not pretty. I'm just saying it's not pretty. But I think part of her problem or her issue is that she strikes me as someone who doesn't like to get the best of her, uh, get bested, I should say, by something, mm -hmm. or get beaten. And I'm thinking that because of where the king is and what he's trying to do or not do with the whole being king and Arthur and the whole, you know, Pendragon stuff, I, I want to say that maybe if it wasn't a bad breakup, it was a very bad disagreement over on what steps they needed to get to Uther. Because she just strikes me as someone who was put their heart into something and then they got ripped away for one reason or another and she's so angry that she can't do anything so she struck out on her own and now she's a pirate and not a freedom fighter and she's just angry. That's just my point. Well, That's what she says. We, we can agree. She's definitely angry. <laughs> and, and then to top it off... She's really angry at how Pelpin's dish up her arm because she did a, a shit job. She did a crappy job. Very crappy Terrible. job. Of, like, cheating. But we kind of learned. You would, think, you, would think, you would think she would know how to do that, especially since she she may have repaired some nets. You know? And if she she's experienced mending nets, she should have a, some, some sewing experience. Some. Yeah, but sewing nets and sewing flesh is two totally different things. Like especially, especially when when the subject that you are sewing is sitting here having a full out temper tantrum about Itis, the lying whore daughter of King of Cumber King, you know the Ice King. So yeah, but so part of her ire is the fact that they are they are in a town. They've tried you know stealing and plundering from the village, and they're not. They're not successful. Like, the village is broke, pretty much. And, you know, Pim kind of, again, y'all, this, this is one instance where somebody listened to somebody else that was, that was spouting some common sense. Pim said, well, I mean, you guys are trying to pillage villages that have already been sacked twice already. They have nothing left to give. And she just offhandedly says... Well, I mean, if you want some gold, you should be attacking the Red Paladins. They've got it by the wagon loads. And Red Spear kind of looks at her. And then she makes orders for them to stay so that they can go and, and do this. And literally, the next scene, we see them together. They have raided the Red Paladins. They have a boatload of gold. And the Red Spear says, I declare open season on the Red Paladins, which I'm like, yay. But at the same time, it's kind of like, mm, I don't know. <coughs> I want to know, know how Pim has more strategic, has more strategic knowledge than Gawain. <laughs> I don't even you know, think. She, I mean, the way she, the way she wanted to Red Spear was hella strategic. She was like, why are you attacking them? They've already been pillaged, so they have nothing. You should go after the people who actually pillaged them. That's <laughs> right. the strategy. 
People don't think clearly and they're emotional. I was going to say, too. <laughs> well, yeah. Spade is emotional. They're not thinking straight. But not only that, I think it's because I don't even think that was strategic on Pim's part. That was probably just common sense. Like, you got to think about it. Pim lived in a village that got sacked by the Red Paladins. So this is something that, that's common knowledge to her. It's kind of common sense. Like, hey, this is what they do. They probably have all the money because they've been going around killing people and stealing their stuff. You know, not only that, but she probably is like, she's probably like, yeah, these some badass Vikings. Let me set them on these people that sacked my village and killed my people. You know, and even though I don't think Pim has that. Pim's not that devious. I don't think she's that devious. I think she's just, I, I, I know that she wanted to stay around because she wanted to try to find that way. But I, I just don't see, she's not devious. She's clever. She's hella clever. But she's not devious where she's like, okay, I'm going to direct these guys to get revenge on these guys. Get revenge on Red Paladin because they killed everybody. I don't think it's necessarily that. I just think that she was one. She was one trying to sound smart and sound and be useful because she's a, she's a shit uh, healer. Uh, yes, definitely. Because I, I think that I think that she literally was just trying to be helpful, and she just said whatever came into her mind because that's kind of who she is. It's just like you know, I you know, why are you pillaging them? They were going to Let's go pillage the people who pillaged them. And it's like, everybody's was like, yeah, that's a good idea. But I thought of it. Hey, turn the boat around. <laughs> so it's like, I just, I, 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 would, I would say she's clever more so than just devious like that. But Yeah, I don't, I don't think mean, she's devious, I mean, no. but at the same time, these are the people who pretty much killed. I, I mean, we don't know what kind of family Pim might have had, but I'm pretty sure her family's dead, you know. The, the high council is dead. She almost died. So even if she's not devious by, I mean, you know, by nature, I think maybe there's a little small part of her that's probably like, yeah, I want somebody to get them. I mean, I would be. But that's just me. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And then, of course, we also get, uh, we get Doff making uh, puppy doe eyes at her again. I'm like, oh, they're so cute. Yeah, but you know, Doff is a walking dead man. No, we know, yeah. we know. And what happened? And what happened on the last raid that they go to the paladins? She's scared. She's holding an axe as big as she is. Why couldn't they give her a dagger? They didn't have a dagger. They gave her an axe that was as big as she was, and she's scared. And he's like, "Oh, wait here. Oh, cool." And then they're like, "Okay, let's go attack them." And all of a sudden, they get swamped by red paladins. Really? Like, soon as, he, as soon as he lost that medallion, he was done for. And soon, and he didn't even yeah. last ten seconds after that. Nope. I just say he's a walking dead man. I didn't see. No, but no, he didn't get you know, the, uh, I, <laughs> yeah, the red shirts, uh, I, I don't, I, those red palaces are just everywhere. They're just everywhere. Like, they're, they're the cannon fodder. 
Well, yeah. It's because they they got them. They just went to villages like, okay, Jordan's. They're probably Jordan's or died, so they're like, okay, fine. But most of them probably don't necessarily have have superior fighting skills. They're just guys, right. which makes them richer. We're just thinking, just like red shirts. It's like, okay, you three guys go over there towards that bubbling that bubbling thing over there. We'll stay over here and see what happens to you. And so those armored soldiers over there. Yeah, we'll, we'll go over there and secure them while we stand over here and watch you get stabbed and poked and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's basically what they are. <sighs> I don't know. There was just there's a um, lot. Um, Yes, I was about to go to him. So, this okay. So, first of all, when we're introduced to this guy, first of all, we don't know who he is. He's just sitting in the forest, and we hear somebody like calling for help. And I was, I was looking at the screen like, where is this person calling for help? And then we realize he has buried someone alive, and stuck a, a stuck a, a a pipe into the grave. So that the person has a little bit of, you know, air to breathe. But then he starts smoking and he blows the air into the... I was like, oh, you're one of these sadistic bastards, huh? And then we find out he's called the fisherman. And apparently, I guess he's like a, a bounty hunter. Um, because the the girl with the, the coin eye who um, works in the bar where Lord Rugen's uh, territory is... She comes to him and she tells him, you know, Lord Rugen is uh, telling, you know, he wants you to focus on another task. He's telling you it's time. Uh, you need to go fish for Merlin, the magician, and, you know, put that shadow lord out of his misery. And I'm like, oh, they're sending someone after Merlin. I guess he's still pissed about that stolen faith fire. <laughs> but... You know, and then a little later, we see that Merlin goes to a home with a family and he asks to speak to the matriarch of the family. And then the way that he's talking to her kind of sort of in code lets us know this is the midwife that he has been hiding for all of these years. Like she has been safe. She has married. Looks like she's pretty well off, you know, considering the fact that she was a quote unquote peasant girl. She's she seems pretty well off. She's got her children and her grandchildren. And Merlin says, you know, basically he's like, Will you say that I kept all my promises to you? And she's like, Yes. He was like, Okay, now it's time to keep your promise to me. And so she has to leave with Merlin and leave her family behind to go, I guess, tell the truth about Uther's birth and all of this stuff. And we already know this is not gonna end well. Merlin Merlin has a bounty hunter on his trail. This is not going to end well for anybody. And the fact that she didn't say goodbye to her family, I was like, oh, they're dead. Yeah, yeah, I mean. One regret that she's going to have. Like, she was like, going to say goodbye, and then she saw him playing, she was like, be happy, let's go. And I was like, oh, they're dead. And they're she was dead. very determined yeah. when yeah. she said that, that too. Yeah. yeah. That fish man died. That introduction is as bad as scary an introduction as you'll see. Yes. For a character on television. Like, he literally looked like he was he was enjoying his time with that individual. He was and singing. He was with him. 
and he wasn't finished with him and he killed him and it just left him like did you get the information you wanted I mean I don't no, even know if like, he was trying to get information yeah I don't even uh, I don't know like That's, those type of people are scary <laughs> and they got us scary yes I mean he was just sitting crazy. there he's he sitting there singing like and just enjoying care. himself he was like uh, no, no. help help oh here's some smoke and then it was like, oh, I gotta do, I gotta do something else. Okay, bye. Yeah, it's like I gotta do the job. Okay, and and he, here. right, and stuffs dirt into the pipe so that he can't hear the guy. And of course, the guy is definitely gonna run out of air. So I'm assuming that guy was probably tied up, and you know, cause me, I would have been trying to claw my way out. But if you're tied up, I guess you really can't do that. And I was just like, that's like, that's a horrible way to die. And the fishman just had no, just no, no reservations, no qualms about it. He's just like, oh, okay, I have a, I have a new target. Yay, let me go. He's like, no worries. Yeah, he's definitely a serial killer. This is like, he's, he's used to it and he has his method down and he's just like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to let you live for a while. Then I'm going to kill you. And it's like, you know, I mean, he just. He's used to it. That's what that's what makes him his living. So he's just like it's just like anybody like you know, I'm a plumber, oh I'm a mechanic, oh I kill people and torture them. That's basically <laughs> his living. So I mean, he did mean he just sees it as another job. Oh, yeah. But I mean, just the fact that he does see it as another job, it's kind of like he's gonna be dangerous. Because he's going to be the type that yep. will stop at nothing to do what he's supposed to do. So you already know that Merlin is in danger. Like, there's no getting out of this for Merlin. Well, this is Merlin not in danger. Well, Merlin's always in danger. There's someone always looking looking for his head or something that he has. And it's like, I mean... And plus, he goes. He goes to comfort the Ice King, and it's like another. It's just like, just like Anthony said. Like he's really more Captain Jack Sparrow in a lot of things than mm-hmm. Merlin. It's like he's going. He's like, yes, I have something you need. So I need something in return. So you know what I mean. He's really like pulling a lot of kind of backroom deals as far as gaining things that he wants, that he knows that he needs. So he's, I mean, he's, he's more devious. He's really, like, devious and scheming as far as getting what he wants and making sure that, making sure that things go the way that he, he thinks they need to go. I mean, he, he's more, he's more willing to do anything, I think. Yeah. So, he, um... And, and this is a side note. Since we always talk about it, he's another character pulled from Thorian Legend. The Fisher King mm-hmm. is is sort of what his character is loosely based on. Oh. Just that I throw that out there. Yeah. See, I gotta, I gotta look that up. Only thing I know about the Fisher King is Robin Williams was in the movie and didn't win the Oscar. I agree with you. I, I didn't realize that until you just said it, but you're right. I'm about to look that up. Yeah. Especially. Well, we'll talk about it later. Well, 
Um, well, I sorry. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, again, I'm watching. I'm. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm watching the Tenth Kingdom uh, as a rewatch, and they have a similar character in the Huntsman. And once again, you've got somebody who is devoted to the evil queen or whatever, and or someone in power. And he has pretty much the same skill set. He has pretty much the same thing with the, the arrows and that the, the whole demeanor, the look, and the, the soul purpose. And then you find out, of course, that he's got this tragic story. And while they're going through the forest, it's uh, John Larroquette's character and the guy that played Big Bad Wolf. And they come across the axeman, and he's like, well, have you came across the hunter? And he says, yes. And they need it for something else that happens. And he says, well, can you guess my name? And I looked it up, and it was a variation of that. So, yeah. So, thank you, Anthony, for bringing it up. I just hmm. it. But, okay. by the way, Tenth Kingdom actually holds up really well. Ah, okay. So, oh, that, yeah. look, something, something else to add to my very, very long to watch list. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's fine. But, um, okay, so we have to go back to Arthur and Gawain because there's a point. You know, yes, we do because we've got to talk about the rescue. We've got to talk about the rescue. So we're back to them. They're doing their little male bonding thing. They're trying to fight their way out. They they find a way to get out and they're they're fighting. Right, they're, they're fighting. They're fighting the Red Paladins, and all of a sudden, like, this smoke comes in. And pretty much it's Nimue and Morgana and Kaze, and they have, I mean, Nimue has, I don't know if she has brought the power of the Kaliak with her. It, I, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to rewatch the episode, so I don't remember exactly how she got that, but basically... The fog comes to the mill, and it pretty much does to the Red Paladins the same thing that it did to the Roman soldiers when Kaliak used it against them. The fog kind of um, envelops them, and it discombobulates them, and they start killing each other. And the Gray Monk is the one, the first one to kind of clear his head and figure out what's going on. And at this point, they've already escaped, but it's kind of like to see that whole thing in action and this is uh, again arthur and gawain are sitting here arguing about who likes her and you know who's who's being noble and stuff and the girl that y'all are trying to fight over just came and saved both of y'all like she don't need y'all y'all can keep being petty she don't need y'all which i'm it was a good yeah, well, scene she said she would she would choose Kaze. Right. So, but I, I just think it was a it was a really badass was. save. It was a badass save. And then of yeah. course they yeah, get I, mean, I, don't think she, I don't think she brought the power of the Kelly with her. I think that was just the idea that that she used the idea and channeled that okay. magic her magic through the sword. I don't think she. I don't think she had anything. I don't think the Kelly had anything to do with it. Okay. Giving her the idea. Like I said, I couldn't so, remember because it's been like weeks yeah. since I've seen this episode. So. Um, yeah, she, she was channeling, channeling the sword and her magic together. Okay. It shows her power because I mean, you can hear a story about something 
and then manifested and yeah. it happens. happens. Like, that's crazy. Right. Like, you know, I mean, that's scary. She's scary powerful. Like, but, that's, almost, that's almost genie-like powers, like, you know, like, I wish, I wish they would start acting like the Romans did. Okay, cool. There you go. But I mean, also, I think it's also a testament to Nimue's strength because after Kaze gives her that, you know, she gives her a pep talk and, you know, Nimue is expressing her doubts and Kaze says, you know, people who, people who don't have doubt are not ready to lead or shouldn't be leaders. And she's basically feeding the idea to Nimue that you are supposed to lead. You need to take this sword and you need to lead your people into deliverance, you know, leave them out of all of this. And Nimue says, but I'm not a king. And Kase says, um, my people aren't ruled by kings. We're ruled by queens. And here we go again, queen of the fae. Because as soon as they get back to Nemos, Nimue gives a speech. And she basically, like, they basically name her queen of the fae. And I'm like, okay, so here we go. You know, we were talking last episode. We were like, okay, we've only got four episodes left. Y'all got to start picking it up. So now they're starting to pick it up. I mean, she has she has That's been funny. named the fae queen. And she has rallied the fae people behind her, except for Iris. Iris still down there looking at her with hate and with the side eye. But, you know, it's... And crying, and she was crying. I was like, "Why, woman? Like, little girl, like, stop, quit being that way." She's <laughs> crying because she's mad. Stop being tired. Those are tears of anger. It's like, it's like them. Boy, basically gave a female medieval version of the Independence Day speech. Yeah, I thought the same thing. It was. It's like you will not go quietly into the night. This is I am your queen. And then like Morgana acting creepy in the back of the crowd, like cleaning the thing, cleaning the thing. I was like, oh shit. I don't think well I think that was that spider. You know, when you kinda consume eight legged things. <laughs> that was gross. That was gross. I was like, okay, I'm done with this episode. I'm done. That's uh but Hell no. so again, it's kind of like where's is, where's is Morgana gonna go from here because she doesn't seem like she's herself. Which of course, if I'm being you know possessed by a spider or whatever is going on with her right now, she's obviously not herself. Yeah. So I don't know if I think that she will betray them away. I don't think that, but I do think that. She has her own agenda now. You know, that, that idea has been planted in her head and not just planted in her head, like literally planted inside her. And I think that's that's gonna that's gonna divide her loyalties. It's it's gonna it's gonna make her rethink some of the things that she's done, you know? In this pursuit for she's basically just putting yourself in what she's done to be right and it's like the spider the spider is controlling her and getting her to do things that to do things and put herself in position to take over and be 
and for and for the spider god to actually start reigning over things. Yeah. So it's I mean it's just creepy that freaking spider over the eyeball. Come on, man. But you know they were saving some money. You know they had to burn down the set. They had the spider crawling all over people everywhere. <laughs> Well, that spider across the eye was it, if it, if that was meant to save money, it was a very effective save because that was creepy. And I'm saying this as a person who watches The Walking Dead. That spider was creepy. Like, oh, I can't even. Oh, my skin is crawling right now. Oh, mm. So, okay. So Nemoe is now the Fae Queen. The Paladins have even more reason to hate her. And to come after the Fae, which I, you know, they're all back safely now. But you got to think that with the Grey Monk figuring out what happened towards the end and seeing how the other Red Paladins kind of turned on each other and knowing that Nimue was probably the cause of that, you got to think that they, they had to have been followed or are being followed and that they're no longer safe. I mean that. I think that's a given at this point. Yeah, have an inside agent in Iris, so it's like, well, even even though they don't really respect her as such, but it's like, well, well, uh, well, now he can track her, track them more easily because it was. I mean, we always assume they kind of try to hide their tracks. Well, this time they have to get out of it, so it's going to be pretty easy for them. Once once he regroups and gets and gets some. So Get some more red shirts. <laughs> the more red shirts. He'll track them. That was one of the problems I've had with this character. Like, his inconsistent tracking ability. One of the main problems I have with this character is his inconsistent tracking ability because it seems as if he can only track when he, he seems to be really good, but then he also seems to be really bad. But I guess this time he'll be able to track them because there's so many of them. Right. And they were bugging out of there. It wasn't like they had time to kind of hide their tracks or whatever. And now he has a general sense of the area where they're going. Right. So. Right. Hmm. And I think, I don't know if I mentioned this, but did I mention that he also didn't seem to be as affected by the magic either? He didn't. Yeah, I think we talked about Wait, uh, uh, the magic of the fog or. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're talking about that. I think we talked, we talked about like okay. really kind of was looking around as opposed to being affected and attacking other people. Like okay. he really just defended himself as opposed to really attacking other people, thinking that they were coming after, thinking that they were demons or whatever. Like, but yeah, I think we did. Come. But again, that will that will probably fit in well to our Grey Monk is a Fey theory because. It, think about it. If the fog affected the Fae as well, then the ones that they were trying to help escape would have fallen prey to that magic. So the fact that only the Red Paladins were affected by it tells us that the Grey Monk can't be human because all the other... I mean, I don't think... I, I know that Nimue is powerful. I don't think she's powerful enough for her magic to be like, okay, um, target everyone here and then target this one Fae person here. You know, I don't think her her magic is that powerful, so that kind of also lends credence to the fact that he is definitely Fey. You know, but yeah. Oh well, 
we they, they did a lot in this episode and and we said this kind of off off audio because we we had a little bit of technical difficulties a few minutes ago but Lori was saying that this this show has gotten so good and it's getting so yeah. much better it's like they they're starting to pack a lot of information and a lot into these episodes and now we're down to three episodes left in the season and they still have a lot of story to tell so uh, i mean Nimaway is with <laughs> Fae Queen now, and what were you saying? I, I was just going to say, it seems like there was a lot of stuff they could have cut out from the beginning that they could have they could have unpacked a little bit more of this stuff over a couple of episodes as opposed to having. Um, I guess the writing did get better. Yeah. But it's as if they could have gone back and maybe fixed some of the stuff that they kind of messed up on or, or took some of the stuff out that really wasn't necessary. I don't know. It, it, it is getting better, but they, this episode, they packed a lot into it. There, there's mm-hmm. a whole heap of stuff they put in there. And I just feel like, I haven't watched the next few episodes, but I just it seems like there's going to be a lot that they've got to pack in in these next last three episodes. Mm-hmm. And it really didn't seem like it was going to be a lot because it seemed like they were only going to focus on the the windmill, windmill scene and the cave scene because that's kind of all that you saw. They didn't even really mention Merlin getting the hand, getting the handmaid and going to the Ice King. Yeah. Or, we didn't even talk about him meeting with the Ice King because I think right, that was exactly. in this episode too. Yeah. yeah. So they, and, they, and the deal he made with him. Yeah. Yeah, so so at, at least as far as the Ice King goes, we know that that's about to become a major thing. I mean, Merlin has pretty much taken the, the midwife to him to use as leverage against Uther, which is not going to sit well with Uther, is definitely not going to sit well with the Queen Regent. And, you know, I mean, it's just... I, I guess you're going to go where you have the most protection because Merlin knows that there's a price on his head right now. He knows that there are people after him, especially, you know, we said this earlier, like he basically laid all of his cards on the table with the queen regent and let her know, yes, you know, I know your secret. And not only do I know your secret, I have the key to your secret in my protection. So he had to have known the moment he said that, that the queen regent was going to come after him. And which is what after the story. Right. And Uther can't protect Merlin. So where do you go when you have that kind of leverage? You go to the person who needs that kind of leverage so that they can keep you and that leverage safe. And I I really think that's what he's doing with King you know, with, with uh Umber, so what what I think he's doing is he's destabilizing the kings and creating chaos to give the Fae an opportunity to get away. Because yeah. if you think about it, look, look. Um, oh my God, chaos is a ladder. That's from Game of Thrones, <laughs> you know? And, and you create chaos and, and things can happen and go in your favor. Right. And one of the things, you know, finally, it seems as if he's come up with a way to save Nimue, Fae, by destabilizing the kingdom 
and maybe having the ice king take over. And that's when we was there. Mm. Okay. Plus, at, plus at this point, Uther is a dead man walking. Because nobody's looking after him anymore. Mm. Like, Portland doesn't care about him. The Queen Regent's getting ready. Doesn't have, I mean, Queen Regent has no use for him anymore, basically. I mean, it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she goes, if she goes else, even as far as going to Father Cardinal or the Pope and trying to stay alive because she knows that Merlin's gunning for her. So it's like, Uther has nobody looking out for him anymore. Nope. Literally nobody. And he doesn't have or he doesn't have a claim to the throne because he's not he is, he's not of royal blood. And basically everybody knows it. I mean, they might as well plaster it on walls all in his kingdom saying that he's really not the king. But he doesn't know it. That's the thing. He doesn't know it. Yeah, but I mean just like but the the thing is, even if he doesn't know it, the people the important people who can take him down know it. So it's just like, I mean, he's the dead man walking. Okay. Okay. I'm going to say one thing. There's a, there's a line in Game of Thrones. You owe a lot to your uncle. Okay. That means that he has heard it. He may not believe it, but in the back of his mind, he actually believes that there might be rumors but it's never been confirmed. So I wouldn't be surprised if old boy actually comes out and says, well, I may not be the true heir, da 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 but I've been sitting here since I was like, what, seven days old, trying to knock me out, trying to prove it's not. I mean, there is no DNA back then. So who's <laughs> to say, you know, I could just I could just see him doing that because like Tyrion said, you owe a lot to your uncle. He owes a lot to... Merlin and I mean not Merlin but his uh the mother and the babe because they made the way for him to become king. I mean you don't have to prove that you're king if you're sitting on the throne. That doesn't come until like 50, 60 years ago when they started really, you know, checking stuff. I mean you can say this is my kid, they're like, Okay, fine, it's your kid. It looks like you it's got black hair, he's got black hair, okay, you're good. You know, I mean as long as he cleans them. Right, exact exactly. Mm. Yeah, but do you really want to be saying that to cumber the Ice King, though? I mean, he, I mean, from what we've seen, he's like, if you if you tell him, yeah, come get it, he's gonna be like, all right, cool, get it. But that's that's the that's the thing about it. There, there historically, there are always the dispute will pop up every once in a while, and whoever has the biggest army, the better generals win. Especially if there's a power vacuum or, or one coming up. It's, it's easy to say, you know what? I can take the throne from you. Well, you can try. If your your army has to be better than mine, you have to get all the leash lords on your side to right. support right. you, not mm-hmm. me. And right now, that's what Ice Queen is going to do. He's going to go around and say, Uther is not the king. I am the rightful king, so you should follow me. And how many of those people are he gonna, is he going to sway to his side right. to, to want to install him on the throne? Yeah, we just have to assume if the Red Paladin has an army of 5,000, I would assume Luther's army is just as large, if not larger. They ain't got no 5,000 no more. <laughs> and they're armored, you know, and they have weapons, you know, better weapons than the Red Paladin. The guys running around with hatchets and axes and bows. That's all I saw. Maybe a few swords. Mm-hmm. But a well organized army is sometimes. 
that that is that was the key to Roman dominance was they were well organized, well marshaled, and well equipped, and that's probably what Wooten's argument is. And that's why a lot of people look at him like, how do you let the Red Paladin just roam the roam the countryside for the down villages? He could have put this out to him if he wanted to, but he just didn't. Right. And that's that's where we are. So now we have you know these Viking berserkers and raiders, <laughs> somewhat organized, trying to. And to be to be honest with you, I don't think the Ice King has a chance, and that's why he needs Merlin's help to turn the people to his side. Yeah, because otherwise he really doesn't stand a chance against his army. Right. Well, you. You you have to well you don't forget he's got Budinka, uh there too so you have to you have to to realize that with him if he's going to get any allies it's going to be the Fae it's going to be anyone who's a druid any of the forest people anyone from the so-called areas of Ireland Scotland Wales uh, the what basically the people who aren't city folk. Uh, you know the clans the 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 Robert the Bruce or you know the 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 people. You know, out because if you have people in the the areas with the king and then the cities and the proper villages and the people who are serfs and all that, you know, it's all organized. They tell you to sit, you sit until you stand, you stand. But if you've got somebody who basically has a turnip and an onion and that's their dinner for like three hundred days a year, and they get meat once a year, and then it's only like drippings of fat. Uh, I think somebody like the Viking King who says, I can give you this, this, and this, or if you just follow me, I'll let you have an opportunity to plunder and do this and that. He's going to have more people. So he may have more unaffiliated wild people on his side than actually Uther might have as as general in total. Mm-hmm. You know, I so would... They got to get organized, they got to get armed, and they got to get right. horses and all right. that good right. stuff. Right, right. That's 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 that's, that's a tall order. Right, exactly. Yeah, but you know, I was thinking too about what Lori said about you know maybe Uther hasn't acknowledged it, but he's probably heard the rumors about mm-hmm. you know his his sit being on the throne and him not being the rightful heir. I would think that if that's the case, then I would be strategizing. For ways to keep that information from being confirmed and to protect my seat on the throne and maybe that's why he hasn't paid as much attention to the red paladin threat and what they've been doing because he's been focused on making sure that he stays on the throne yeah and that's another thing that kind of bothers me a lot of things bother me <laughs> <laughs> is that is that he has kind of turned they have turned a blind eye to the raiders and now that the Raiders have actually landed and taken up shop, it's like, are you going to do anything about it? You're so worried about this baby. And they're all, it's just a small group of people, but you have the Vikings literally camping out on their doorstep, claiming the throne. Yeah, I was like, going to say, they're not Raiders. Where is your spine, Luther? Where, where is your head? You know how how are you allowing this to occur? Right, and it shows you how weak and inept he is as a leader. You know that he can't he can't even see what's really going on. You know mm-hmm. he's got like you said 
his liver reimpaled and whatever. And he's so concerned with trying to get the sword and take care of the faith is that he he's ignoring the fact that he has an invading army on his in his kingdom. And mm-hmm. he doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. That scene of the writers, you know, because he could have been beaten off the tally or something to put up some resistance. But no, it's like the 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 ice king is just marching right on through Britannia, you know, gathering up allies, turning people against their king. And Uther's doing absolutely nothing about it. He's either got some piss poor advisors or there are people who wanted to go this way yeah. and aren't doing anything about it. And Plus, he, the thing, thing Uther needs to do now is keep order because you got to remember in the first episode, his people were getting ready to rebel against him because they haven't had, they haven't had rain in forever and the crops are dying. So they're already desperate for to get sustenance and to be able to grow food. And Merlin was supposed to take care of that, and he didn't take care of it. So going through yeah, one of the things that more. one of the things that rallies the people in the countryside is a common enemy. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You're struggling to have this food. We're having a hard time. And here's these outside people coming to take what little bit you have left. So we yeah. need to get together as a country, as a kingdom, and get them out. Yeah, but. but that, that would be something for another type of king, not the kind of king Uther is. Yeah. But, conver- but conversely, I mean, it, going through, we're on episode seven now, going to episode eight, he still really hasn't solved the problem of rain. I mean, he, they still haven't had any rain when you think about it because. But what is he supposed to do? Work. He's just a mere man. But he, but he said he's going to take care of it. He said, he said he said that he had somebody who was going to take care of it and it hasn't happened. He he's basically George he's basically the older George Bush saying, Read my lips, I'm making rain and it hasn't happened. So it, I mean you, you still you still he still has to solve that problem. Meanwhile, having to deal with the Queen Regent, maybe trying to kill him, meanwhile dealing with Merlin hiding things and knowing where these the sword is that could solve all his problems. Right. So he really has a lot of stuff to juggle right now, and he's not doing a very good job of it. It's basically he's throwing the balls in the air and they're hitting the ground. He's not doing anything about it. He's doing <laughs> problems. And if if the people see this, and I mean, then maybe they they might just stand aside when someone comes in comes to when the when the Ice King when Cover comes and starts raiding, they're probably be like, yeah, come on in, man. Shit, man, we're not doing anything. He ain't doing nothing. So <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah. I mean, they might, they might just step aside and be like, yeah, go ahead, he's in there, uh, top floor. Yeah, that guy with the crown, yeah, that's him, go ahead and get him. <laughs> I mean, why not? I mean, because they have nothing to lose, because they have no food. They, they, have, they have nothing nothing more to look forward to. Uther hasn't offered them anything. Right. So why? So why not? Yeah, sure. Well, I guess we'll see next episode what's going to happen with Uther, especially now since Merlin seems to have thrown in his lot with uh, Cumber the Ice King. Um, any final thoughts? Shout out to Father Carter for not showing up in this damn episode. <laughs> That's right. He wasn't in this episode. Thank <sighs> God. Yeah. I can't 
guys just can't stand him. I'm glad I didn't get a chance to see him. So, yeah, shout out to seeing your ass out. Cool. Um, I, I thought I was going to make it through the Expanded Hybrid podcast without having to talk about zombies. Maybe we can sell you, but I guess technically <laughs> she's a ghost. But I'm just saying, I thought I was going to be out of here. He's a whole zombie. <laughs> I mean, she's got the burn marks and everything, so yeah. Yeah. And she and, and you know she's she's not eating brains. She's planting spiders in her girlfriend. I think my take is that this episode really got me hyped because I I keep going back to this. I watched Letters to the King and I was so disappointed. And it just it started out great and it kind of petered off. This this is getting me really excited because I can't wait to see how we're going to finish it. So, yeah, I enjoyed this. All right. Yeah. Well, we've only got three more episodes for Cursed, and then we're going to sit here and decide what we're going to cover next. But until then, we thank you for joining us. You can find us at www.fandomhybrid.com. We are on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fandom Hybrid. You can find us online on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for joining us. We hope you join the conversation next time.